sit together in the dark. They speak. Their voices rise together. Their voices fall together. One voice speaks of this, the other of that. When they join, their words turn into flames, their voices into fire. This is Voice of the Fire, a podcast about storytelling. Hello and welcome to Voice of the Fire. My name is Sebastian Buchner. I am a storyteller and we are talking about storytelling. Today I am joined by Uschi Erlenwein, a German storyteller. She comes from a region called Swabia. She does tell stories in Swabian dialect from time to time, but her main Focus in storytelling are ethnographic stories, stories, myths, folk tales from uh, all over the world, from Siberia, from Mongolia, from Bali. She wants to continue uh, a tradition of nomadic or shamanic storytellers, and she wants to connect people today to age-old stories and make these stories breathe anew and make these stories come alive. She tells about the creation of the world in various myths, about trickstery foxes, delves into different worlds and different regions in Asia, but she also finds wisdom in old European tales. It is important for her to be very careful about the stories that you tell because if you are trying to maintain um, a living heritage of another folks, another people's stories, you have to understand those stories. You have to know why they're being told, when they're being told, how they're being told. Ushi has a background in uh, performance theatre, in puppet theatre, and clown performances. So her performances are very kinetic. They play around with uh, sound, the human voice, and with movement. Very much alive. She aims to transport the listener into a realm of the imagination, where she can be their guide. You can follow our conversation for a few words on... German traditions of storytelling, how they differ from other international traditions, and perhaps why. And we're basically just talking shop. Enjoy that conversation with Uschi Erlenwein. Hello and welcome to Voice of the Fire. In this episode I'm talking to Uschi Erlenwein, a German storyteller. Hello Uschi. Hello Sebastian, nice meeting you. Nice to meet you. Would you like to give the listeners a quick introduction who you are and what you're doing? 
Well, I'm a, a stage storyteller uh, and I'm specialized in multicultural stories, which means um, I have different shows um, dealing with stories um, from traditional stories from other cultures. Um, and but I, I, my approach is a very artistic um, approach. So I, I study and I um, try to to get in touch uh, with the culture uh, of the stories I, I am telling, and um, and and I try to find my personal way um, of telling and performing those stories. Well, I. I better call it performing because um, um, I'm talking with my body, I'm talking with voice, I'm singing, um, and mostly um, I work with inner images, if that makes sense to you. Well, this begs another question. What kind of inner images, or what, what do you mean by that? You work with inner images. When when I when I start to to uh, um, yeah to 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 hear a story or to read a story, um, then I I I talk to myself for a long time. I try to imagine the story, and and I dream the story, which me really means dream. I lie down and I sleep, and in half sleep. Um, I tell the story to myself, and I see what I'm telling. Um, so I, I, I try to get in touch with my with that part of myself, which has very much to do with the dream, and um, a lot with my imagination. And after a while. Um, the story is so close and to, so normal to myself, as if it's a part of my life. And that's the moment when, when I start um, performing the stories uh, for other people, for the audience. And when I'm performing, um, I experience everything of the story. In that moment when I'm performing, the story happens again. And um, I see everything what I'm what I'm telling, and and I see and I um, yeah I, I I try to make it present, uh, very strongly present, so the audience um, can just enter into the story with their imagination. So you are trying to create a, a dream state for the audience or open the door into a half dream that they can just step into if they're willing yeah. to listen. That's what it sounds like. Yes, I mean, for me, the stories, uh, all stories um, uh, are from, a, yeah, they are like, like uh, dreaming awake, <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh, just a very conscious uh, way of dreaming. It's the same substance as a dream, a story. Yeah, it's, it's something I uh, find resonates within myself with some of the stories that I like best. I've done a similar kind of, you dream yourself into it and then you are trying to, to reproduce that state 
for your listeners and for the people you want to tell that story to. And I think it's also a good way to mm, already add a little bit of yourself to uh, sometimes very old stories. Are you you are working mostly with uh, traditional stories? Is that right? Those were stories that you take from uh, other sources, stories that have been there for a long time. Yes, um, it's uh, but it's also mm, uh, the reason why I, I, I uh, most of my storytelling programs are. Uh, about other stories with stories from other cultures it's because um, um, I it's in meantime about 13 years ago when I started uh, to tell uh, to perform regularly in a anthropology ethnology museum and um, and there of course um, all the exhibitions they are dealing about um, different cultures, about different aspects of cultures. And um, the scientists, um, they, they talk about the scientific part of uh, those, uh, or the, the scientific view to those cultures. And I try to, to uh, um, show or to let people experience the emotional part so that they, find a, an emotional way of uh, getting in touch with uh, a, a, another culture and the people of that other culture. And uh, that's why mostly um, I'm, I'm, I'm telling stories uh, from all around the world. Um, but it's also because I love to travel and I'm just curious um, to experience the world from another point of view. And um, uh, quite often people ask me, well, where are your roots? You're always telling stories from, from other cultures and not your own culture. And then I realized, yes, um, um, well, I'm, I, I never liked very much um, the Krim's fairy tales. I grew up with them and I knew them, but my heart is somewhere else. But of course, I have my roots in here in, in, in Germany, in Middle Europe. And, um, and I learned a lot from my old neighbors, especially how they were telling stories they experienced in their life. And then I realized, yeah, um, my roots uh, will be in stories which I write myself. And they are mixed partly um, things I, which I really experienced in my life. Uh, and they are, sometimes I get ideas uh, from, from the stories I know. And, and I tell them in my dialect, which is a Southern German, a German dialect, Swabian. Um, but that's one program of many, <laughs> of many, many storytelling programs. Also, thank you for already jumping over the hurdle of the Brothers Grimm, because I was wondering if I wanted to bring it up or not. Because I think for every German storyteller, they have to have some kind of relationship with the stories of the Brothers Grimm, whether they like them or not. I mean, people, uh, when, when I offer what I'm offering and, and what I'm doing as an artist, they always think 
I am a, a teller, like a grandma, uh, sitting in a in in a um, rocking chair, telling yeah. <laughs> uh, James fairy tales, you know, and um, I, that's that's what people expect, and it happens again and again since many many years. Uh, it that happens to me, and people never experience people telling other stories. Or, for example, talking with their body, with body language. Yeah, but I, th I think there's a, a far broader range for storytelling. That is, I, I wonder if that's something that is specific to German regions or, or, or generally there, because I've made similar experiences. Storytelling is usually that you sit in front of kids and you read them uh, these mm. stories, which is not bad, of course, which is uh, can be absolutely fun to be there but there are many other options to combine that with say with music with dance with uh, song and there are many people who are exploring those different um, ways of telling a story yes yes I, I guess it's it's probably um, more common um, in, in 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 other um, countries like I I, I I, I got to know a lot of um, uh, storytellers in in United States. Um, that's where I studied um, with a theater teacher for for quite a, uh, some years, and um, and there I, I I saw people dancing fairy tales and stories. I, I saw them um, singing and, and uh, trying all different kinds of stuff. But in Germany, or maybe in the in in those countries w uh, with a German language, it's very common that people think, yeah, you're sitting there and you're telling Grimm's fairy tales. And, um, and in the beginning, I remember when I started um, my career as a performance storyteller, I I, I really felt nearly, um, um, yeah, ob ob uh, what's the word obliged? obliged yeah. Yes, obliged to 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 tell and to perform Grimm's fairy tales because. That's something which sells, <laughs> and I have to make a living from my work, and uh, it's it's quite hard um, uh, to to sell uh, storytelling programs of, of of cultures. People have no idea what what uh, richness of stories of traditional stories they have. For example, uh, I have a, a, a storytelling program with stories uh, from the Pacific. Um, and from Polynesia, and people in Germany, I, I guess they have the the idea that um, you know in Polynesia there is a lot of uh, ocean, there is a beach, um, maybe a cocktail <laughs> and coconuts and some beautiful women dancing, and that's it. Oh yeah, maybe uh, diving and and you know everything in in the ocean, but is there culture? People are quite often surprised, <laughs> you know, and it's very hard to 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 uh, to yeah to convince people this is really interesting when they see it, 
they change their mind, of course. But for me, it's quite sometimes quite often difficult to to sell this program. Quite often, I I tell them about it, and then after a while, they say, "Oh well, uh, let's take maybe another program. <laughs> this this might be interesting." <laughs> you know, that's something. Uh, it's too strange for them. They they don't know enough about it. But that's the reason why I like to to. Um, to deal with these stories and to try people get interested in, in uh, get interested in in those cultures. Yeah, lesser known stories, lesser known cultures. They it's, are. I mean, for me, they hold a great fascination as well. I, I I like picking up the most obscure sort of stories and just trying to make them them interesting or work or, or sometimes even take a story that is um, that feels really strange in our tradition in our culture and just put it there and see what, what is happening how do people react to it like mm -hmm. have it strange on purpose so it, it creates some sort of reaction that people are not expected because I think we have at least today we have a very clearly structured uh, form of, 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 of acceptable stories and stories that we want like you say we want a particular story and we want to be uh, excited we want to be surprised but we want, don't want to be too surprised we don't want to, the story to take a real turn into uncharted territory and into places that we've really never seen before so there's always yeah. uh, a bit of a balance that you have to make between giving people exactly the kind of story that they want to hear and then maybe finding places where you can push this a little bit, where you can tell them a story or a part of a story that they might really have never heard before. Yeah. Yeah, and there's another another aspect to that, you know. I mean, um, uh, the Bible... And Grimm's fairy tales, those two um, books are some of those which are uh, translated to all, nearly all other languages of the world. Yes. And, um, and so uh, a lot of um, traditional stories from faraway cultures, they are very much influenced by Grimm's fa fairy tales. Actually, they, they nearly, they've, fused into the old traditional stories yes and sometimes the old traditional stories um they they change totally because of that and sometimes they they kept their original feel and um atmosphere and sometimes they uh, mixed it all together yes yes in best cases i mean i, I remember some inuit stories uh, which uh, which are really mixed with you know that uh, they are uh, dealing about that those are stories about um, Noah and the ark and um, and the, the, those stories about Noah they are just um, yeah they arrived in 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 the Inuit culture and um, they made totally new stories of it. Which um, I I think it's it's just marvelous um, uh, to see how th that that fusion happened, but in other in other um, 
region of the world, um, yeah, I, I, I got the impression that the really old stories, they are just forgotten. And, um, and, and uh, they, they created variations of um, Grimm's fairy tales with, a, uh, with the touch of, of that region of the world. You know, for example, I mean, uh, yeah. in 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 the Pacific Ocean, I realized, yeah, that quite often, the, those are variations of of Grimm's fairy tales, and um, it's very hard for me because I I like to 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 find those old old stories, um, um, which show another aspect of life and and another view to the world, and um, it's. Sometimes it's very difficult to find. Maybe because they are written. Uh, uh, it, it, uh, missionaries wrote down the old stories, and they wanted to change them. They could, yeah. They, yeah. Well, maybe they wanted. Maybe they they just they just did change them because they had a certain uh, way of experience uh, the world and, and, and religion and mm -hmm. so the stories change just because because uh, their their way of of um, yeah, experience the world exactly it almost sounds like a very early form of mass media in a way that mm -hmm. the bible would be like uh, almost like tv or american tv specifically uh, yeah. Which, of course, they also influence each other. You can even see it today, but that would be like, that was the one story that was spread all across the world and that was retold again and again and, of course, influenced others. And I think there's also a lot of um, the way Europeans collected their stories and printed them and reprinted them and as they spread across the world, they spread their stories and they mixed and merged. But... There's probably also an, an interesting uh, tale in itself if you imagine a character of a, uh, a priest, a missionary, coming into touch with this strange world for the first time and having to balance or, or struggle with those two worldviews, like the one he knows and is familiar with and the one that is strange and seems threatening. So I I get the feeling of many listening to you I get the feeling of many different uh tales uh that can even be made out of that history of 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 stories as they travel across the world. Oh yeah, oh yeah, sure. And 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 um yeah, you I mean you you just need to to have a look to um those old books uh which are printed just directly after they have collected the stories um, you can see you know I mean I, I, I saw um, for example I saw a, a book from a missionary in Siberia and um, he was telling stories um, from um, Siberian shamans and um, those shamanistic stories, they, they just became like a Bible story. Mm. Yeah, you know, uh, like for for most uh, cultures in um, in Siberia, 
for example, the number three, it's not so interesting. It's not such a holy um, number. And interesting enough, um, he changed all the other, uh, you know, a part of the story just happened certain times. And it, like in, in Grimm's fairy tales, it's always a repetition of three times. Mm-hmm. And But in, in other cultures, it's, for example, for uh, Native American Indians, it's a repetition of four normally, because four is the the whole the holy number, and um, and in Siberia it can be seven, it can be nine, it can be twelve, mm-hmm. but mm, very rarely three times repetition. But in the, uh, that missionary, he he was so used to. Probably he was so used to the the Grimm's uh, fairy tales, and so he he thought, uh, well, all fairy tales need to have a repetition of three. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. That to is see. very interesting indeed. Things, things are changing. Yeah, and it's also how how they change almost because people who who do that don't ask. They, for them, it feels natural. Like for this missionary, yeah. it would feel natural. He said, "No, that doesn't feel." exciting or that doesn't feel right this is too long and something like that and he would just cut it down in a way that seemed okay to him and I think we're still doing that with stories this is an ongoing process that happens all the time because we, sure. even if you take a story or if I take a story and we look at it and we, we say okay I don't like that thing I don't like this particular detail I would like it to end a little differently probably exactly the same thing and unless we look at our own uh, deeper motivations or our own influences for why we like a particular kind of story uh, that would probably remain unexplored or, or, or the reasons why we would change a particular story the way we do would remain mm. unexplored yeah and it changes also when you write it down oh, because yeah. you I mean, most most stories are written down to read, and not to 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 listen to. Yes. It's it's a totally different language, and you need to to adapt. I mean, I I met uh, some some um, collectors and researchers of stories, and and they said, well, I try to to stay as close as possible to the oral way of telling. But you, it's so hard to read it. So I need to adapt a little bit to, to a written version. Otherwise, people have such a hard time to read it. And mm-hmm. so they, they try to compromise and find uh, a subtle way. And there, are, but I also met some some other um, uh, one la- lady, f- uh, for example. She she was. Um, Oh, what is it? A lector. She uh, she was a test reader uh, f- uh, for the books for for a lot of um, fairy tale books in Germany, and um, and she 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 had a, a very clear um, opinion and idea how a fairy tale needs to be written and how it needs to sound. Yeah, if you read it, um, and 
and she 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 for example what i i very much uh, admire and i i love when i when i listen to traditional storytellers while traveling i like how they they um, um, make those breaks in a story for example one one traditional native american storyteller he was telling you know a, a creation myth very sacred a myth uh, uh, about uh, raven the great creator and then in the middle of that story um suddenly raven just uh, uh had a look to his rolex uh, um, <laughs> watch and raven said well i think now my Rolex says now it's time to change, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, I just I just love those moments. <laughs> that that break, it's a very sacred thing, and then suddenly, that materialistic watch, <laughs> you know, and uh, and but like this lady, she said, well. It's all right if uh, if traditional storytellers are making breaks like that, <laughs> but, but we are not allowed to. Well, she cut out. She she, she definitely she cut out uh, a lot of those breaks, even though the collectors had written them had written them down and and just uh, witnessed them, you know, uh-huh. and then. Probably that's the reason why why a lot of those fairy tales in 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 German books they are quite boring. I mean, sometimes it's so hard to read them because I, I and I often feel there's so much missing. Very much. But it's, I I yeah. agree. I often find that when I read a story, I have to almost emotionally translate it back to something that works. So you ask yourself, okay, why did they put? This particular bit in now. Does it have to mm. be read like this? Is this meant to be scarier? Is this meant to be a joke? Because quite often you can't tell, uh, because it's written down in such a way that, that all of these nuances disappear and you have to put them back in when you tell them. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's what I, what I think, uh, what I feel all the time. Yeah. But that's also a, 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 a beautiful thing of discovery for me because you read that story and on page it's sometimes dead but then you try to find a way to make it come alive again and to give the characters some life and to give the story a, a shape that works and I think that's quite a an interesting thing to do. I think you would probably agree with this. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, that's that's the work of of a storyteller. I think just to make them alive and to keep them alive and to breathe uh, life into the story. Exactly, it's, but it feels yeah. like a reconnection again. It's not like you're making everything up. It's just you find those um, little connections that have been severed, and you try to. Just put them back to where they belong. Oh, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah. Yeah, and, and sometimes I mean, in, in, when I'm working on a story like that, I I always try to to find as many variations as possible of that story, and and then I I I try to to understand 
what the yeah the uh, th that person who was writing them down what they kept, uh, put out uh, uh, cut out of the story or what what they changed you know so I tried to to uh, get a very um, yeah, universal understanding of that story mm -hmm. because I, I know so many variations of it, you know. And then uh, it's easier to, to make, to give them life again, <laughs> to make mm -hmm. them alive. It is always interesting to find the, sometimes interesting to find the historical and cultural context for particular stories because I think there are some traditional stories that just wouldn't make any sense in the situation that we're in today like I um, I was recently when I was talking to a Moroccan storyteller he told me that traditionally in Morocco storytellers would relay information to people and would tell them kind of almost like in code what would happen during the protectorate like what did the rulers have in mind for them and they could not express it directly so they would cloak this in a story and the people who knew exactly how the story was coded what meant what knew what was going to happen politically as well as socially mm -hmm. and I think there might have been some stories like that that were coded in a certain way culturally or spiritually and so there you have to do a different kind of translation. Have you come across something like that as well? Um, yeah, in another, I mean, not, not, I haven't uh, heard of uh, those codes, but uh, I'm always aware of it um, because, I mean, um, you know, uh, here in Germany, a lot of storytellers, they always, um, they repeat again and again the sentence, well, um, um, fairy tales, um, um, they are universal, and the symbols of the fairy tales, uh, every human being can understand. And that's something I, I doubt, I really doubt, because um, symbols, um, uh, they are not very personal and every culture has another uh, connection to certain images and I mean to numbers for example to colors um, uh, uh, just to, to name a few and uh, and um, you need to know and to I mean when I'm telling a story from from a certain culture I, I try to understand what does this particular um, uh, object or um, action? Uh, what does what kind of meaning does it have in this certain culture? And and um, my job as a storyteller in Germany um, is that I I I try to to um, to add a little part of uh, of information into the story, because pe uh, people don't understand um, why or uh, what this means. Um, let me let me try to to make this um, to to find an example of this. Um, 
Yeah, for, for example, I'm telling a story, uh, a Mongolian story. And uh, it, uh, it's talking about the underworld. And people in Germany, they have a certain idea about the underworld, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually where they're always living and, you know, people are cut into pieces and it's, mm-hmm. it's, like, it's the hell, the underworld. But in other cultures, um, it, does, it, it has a totally different meaning. You know, it's just another realm. Uh, it's just another um, 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 another life. Yeah, uh, it's it's the world of transition after death, and and so I I I just wrote a part about I, I tried to to. Uh, while I was studying uh, um, um, a lot of information about the underworld in in in, in Mongolia, <laughs> in, in in Mongolian culture, and um, so I I I, I told uh, uh, well, it's a part of my story now that I'm I'm telling people how it looks in in the underworld. How does Elik Khan, the, uh, he is the king uh, of, of the underworld, how does he look like? Nobody knows it in Germany, you know? And uh, if I just tell tell it and I said, well, the soul just went into the underworld and, and met Elik Khan, nobody in, in Germany, nobody has an, uh, an image of that situation. And so my part uh, of a storyteller is uh, that I try to to give the image, to show the image, to make it understandable. Mm-hmm. That you so become I, a cultural bridge for them almost. Yeah. That they can see these images, yes. And sometimes I think there will be almost new stories born from the explanation. Because I think when you explain the underworld, you could put in other little stories that happen in the background and things like yeah. that so this would make it much richer no? yeah and and you know I mean that some storytellers they they uh, before they start to tell the story uh, they 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 used to to explain well do you know about the, uh, the uh, how uh, Mongolian ideas about the underworld look like you know and then they they, they, they talk about it but um, I try to make it as a part of the story mm-hmm. because when I tell uh, that part of the story that the soul just goes into the underworld, then I really see it and then I can describe what I see and and, and the audience can see it and experience what the soul goes through while uh, walking uh, and crossing the underworld. Uh, so it will be part of it, yeah. And like you said, uh, it, it, it's 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 kind of a new story. <laughs> exactly, yeah. and an experience. It's how how it's meant to be done, you know. How I think it's a it's a very good way to uh, transmit culture. Like it's much closer to a direct experience of it than reading about this and about why this happened. Right. Yeah. 
that's what what I meant. Uh, I tried to, to yeah, that that people just uh, experience it with their heart, not so much with the head or in their brain, but mm-hmm. you know, more with uh, yeah, empath- empathy and mm-hmm. and and their heart. Yeah. And I think perhaps that is closer to some something universal, because if you go in your imagination and you say, okay, you. Because then again, you, if you lead somebody into the underworld, everybody might go into their little personal underworlds, bring their personal details with them, their personal little devils and, and things like that. So um, it's always, uh, I think perhaps if, if, if somebody talks about a universal understanding, that is what they should talk about, like this space of imagination that everybody can access. Yes, yes, that, I, but that's a difference to uh, everybody understands uh, the symbols in a universal way. Yes, you know? exactly. No, it, I think I it's agree more the you. understanding is universal instead of the symbols is uh, are are universal. Yeah, no, the symbols definitely are not universal. They are very specific yeah. to time, to place, to sometimes particular people. Yes. Yes, and and I'm I mean of course uh, a lot of a lot of people just um, um, uh, they got this idea because um, of um, uh, C.G. Jung, mm-hmm. uh, the psych- psychologist, and uh, I mean he he was talking in the twenties nineteen twenties he 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 said uh, symbols are universal all over the world but that was another time i'm sure uh Zig, Jung, if he would live nowadays uh, uh he would think in a different way he was he would not uh um because i mean uh, like um I, I think that was a reaction uh of the time immediately after a uh, colonialization mm-hmm. Of the colonies, you know, um, of of the time when when um, um, uh, Europe just divided the world and and tried to own the whole world and influence it, mm-hmm. and then uh, and I mean that nowadays it's a different time. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm quite sure he he would not uh, talk about archetypes in the same way. And symbols in the same way how he did in the twenties. Of course not, but I also think we talk about this uh, in a more diverse and specific way because he started doing it. So it's like a starting point back then. Yes. So you yes. begin here, and from that on, people can think much, much deeper and much, much further. Yes, um, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, a starting point and and just be, yeah, becoming conscious about it and and realizing it that this exists. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and finding words to express uh, and think about it. Um, yes, a starting the, point. The fascinating thing in there, and that's um, is is that almost the more you know about matters of psychology and the spirit the the further back you go in time and you find uh, examples of that in very very old stories mm-hmm. that um, this is not a knowledge that is new but a knowledge that is rediscovered again 
So do you, do you, can you follow me along these lines um, thinking that um, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've often come across that in when I was studying uh, Tibetan Buddhism and some stories and some uh, traditions surrounding that that they would uh, start connecting spiritual knowledge with scientific discoveries with scientific methods and find out that these things have very very much in common mm-hmm. and one is a very old tradition dating back a couple of thousand years and the other one is maybe 200 years old and mm-hmm. yet they seem to be pointing in the same direction just using different words and using different definitions mm-hmm. and so yes. yeah and I, th- I mean that it's the same with with the stars. I think, you know, I mean they they are very very old and very very new. And the moment when you're you're telling them, they, you make them just you know up to date yeah. to the moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's an interesting paradox in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, but sometimes I I think because. Uh, um, yeah, I, I most most uh, listeners and um, most people in the audience, um, for them, uh, you need to help them because of course most of them they don't they don't know much about um, storytelling and story stories and and um, um, the traditions and um, so I, I try to meet them where they are. And try to to guide them to more understanding and experiencing that they can connect to those old things as well. Yes. Yeah, and that's. I, I think, think that is a, a very very good thing to do. And sometimes that often because that is what often gets lost in academia and in uh, places of specialized knowledge. Where you just um, you you've forgotten how far in you are already. Mm-hmm. So you always need mm-hmm. somebody to come into the door, take people by the hand, and take them in a little bit and show them what there is to see. Yeah, I do imagine this is a very uh, the the work that you did for for museums is probably interesting because you have uh, these uh, you have all the the old. Even if it's just old bits of, of, of furniture or, or bits of pottery or little statues, everything is already there and is probably uh, th- there's probably a thing, a strange thing that happens between that. The story making the uh, exhibits richer and the exhibits making the story richer. Mm-hmm. Um, though I, I I don't I don't um, take a, an object and and tell stories uh, about it, you know. No, I just I, think I, the presence of those. Not that you would yeah, explicitly yeah, I think, use them. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can you can, and it it's a it's a way of of uh, of uh, doing storytelling in in museums. But um, in my case, um, uh, yeah, I'm present. In the exhibition, in the middle of all the objects, and um, and and I tell the stories, and um, uh, I try to build up an atmosphere people can experience uh, during like forty minutes, one hour, and uh, uh, and then they, of course, they 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 see the objects in a totally different way. 
because they experience something. Mm -hmm. And um, um, that's very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I like it very much. I like it very much because, uh, um, yeah. It makes for a very specific atmosphere and something very special, I think. Almost like you can feel all the connections forming. Yes, and it's like, uh, you know, as if the stories are like um, like the music between the words. Thank you for listening to Voice of the Fire. My name is Sebastian Buchner. I am a storyteller. You can find the podcast Voice of the Fire on iTunes and SoundCloud. So go there and check it out. Leave us likes, leave us comments, because this podcast, like any other, lives from community interaction, lives from feedback, and lives from the conversation that it creates. So again, thank you very much for listening. Tune in next time when I will be talking to two Indian filmmakers about their project Uramili.